who cares if you're right? <laughs> I mean, do you ever notice that um, we as humans, not just as humans, but even as Christians, uh, we kind of feel the need to make sure that we're right at all the time. Nobody ever thinks that they're smarter than anybody else. Nobody ever thinks that they're uh, a better driver than anyone else. Nobody ever thinks that you've got all the right answers and nobody else does, or maybe that, I mean, you're less sinful than everybody else, right? That's always a good thing. Um, and hey, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but I mean... I I, I seem to think that I'm just right more often than I'm not. Um, You know, it's just like, and uh, I mean, really, it's, I guess that sometimes it's just hard being right all the time. Um, It's just, it's, it's such a burden to bear. I mean, in a world that even there are songs that talk about how everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. And it's like the world is just so full of dum-dums. And I'm not talking about the suckers. I'm talking about people that can't seem to take two brain cells and put them together. It's like, and, and don't say you don't know who these people are. You have all shopped at Walmart and you have seen them. <laughs> They're all over the place. And I sit there and I scratch my head, not just because it itches right now, but because I'm wondering... Who gave these people a license, and why are they on the road? Like, okay, I get it. There was this pandemic. I understand. You're in the car by yourself. Why are you wearing a mask, and who do you think you're protecting? (laughs) Like, I don't understand this. I mean, I get if you want to wear a mask, that's fine. But you're in the car by yourself with the windows up. Like, I might even be able to understand it if your windows were down. Maybe you thought that your breath could travel that far to catch somebody that was walking on a sidewalk. Your windows were up. I'm sure there was air conditioning. Maybe you don't realize that every single car has a cabin air filter in it that will probably filter better than your cloth mask. But these are the people. And there are so many important issues that our world is facing today, and there are so many stupid people making decisions about them. And it's like, man, why, why, Lord, did you fill us with all the idiots around us? And like, these are just thoughts that I have, and I'm sure that you've never had these thoughts. And like I said, I I don't want to brag, and it is a burden to be right as often as I am. And if you want to ask me about the things that I know about that I probably know more than any of you about, I mean, go ahead and ask me my thoughts on end times. I'll tell you what's right. Tell you what's right about women in ministry, about spiritual gifts. I'll tell you what's right about the best worship music that you ought to listen to. Tell you all about politics or alcohol or baptisms because I'm right and you're not. Like, that's what happens inside of Christianity. And I'm kind of making light of this, but, like, these, this really happens. And I, I do, I've, I've read this thing multiple times. Read it multiple times, love reading it, and constantly looking at it and thinking, okay, what issues do we face in the world today, and what does the Bible say about it? 
even when it comes to things in our world, you want to talk about capitalism, socialism, fascism, I'll tell you what the Bible says about it. I'll tell you what the Bible says about self-defense, tell you what the Bible says about capital punishment, about abortion, about sexual orientation, about gender identity, about whether pineapple even belongs on pizza, and tell you whether you should be putting it on sock, shoe, sock, shoe, or sock, sock, shoe, shoe, which by the way, just depends on how cold your feet are. And the only fruit that belongs on pizza is the tomato. I'm like, I mean, okay, so maybe I'm wrong on a couple of these things. And I saw a TikTok the other day that they said, if you ever put sock shoe, sock shoe, you must be a psychopath. I'm like, but I already had the foot up here. Why would I put the sock on and then put the foot down and then cross this leg and then put that down then to do this again? I'm getting dressed. I'm not trying to dance. Just keep the foot up here, put a sock and a shoe on. That way, at least if I have to run outside and it's raining out, I've at least got one foot that is fully covered and I can just hop around rather than trying to go out with two socks on and now they're wet and then I've got to come back in and start the process all over again. See, there is logic behind my madness. (laughs) Man, this is going to go off the rails so far. Um, no, the, the, the thing about being right, like this happens, unfortunately, all the time, and I seem to think that we as Christians are just as bad as the rest of the world. And sometimes, I think maybe we're worse. I, I really do, and, and I'm going to set this up by showing you a Bible verse. Uh, for those that have seen what I'm doing on social media lately, I'm taking these daily Bible verses, you know, you get them out of the, the version Bible app, and you can pull them up, and well, I'm just reading them and showing them to people, and I'm sharing one every single day. Here, here's the verse that we had yesterday. Um, it was Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 through 28, uh, or 33, or 30, do 37 through 38. I think I missed that up. And I want you to catch this. Matthew 22, 37 through 38, Jesus says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, go back to verse 38 there, Nancy, because I want you to see what Jesus says. Can can you guys read that? This is Jesus speaking here. He says, this is the first and great command, right? Um, Well, here's what somebody actually responded yesterday. Oh, now they're going to have to lead it because I called them on it this morning. Isn't that great? I didn't even screenshot it. So I didn't screenshot it. It's not going to show it. But somebody said... That's not the first commandment. The first commandment is to hear God's voice so you can first obey him. What? My reply to him was, oh, well, I'm not going to argue with Jesus. (laughs) Because it's like, this is the first commandment. Jesus himself saying, this is the first commandment. And I'm like, what are you, 
why are you saying that there's anything but what Jesus himself said? Now, I get it. Some people are saying, well, how are you going to be able to love God if you haven't obeyed God? And how are you going to obey him if you haven't heard him? And we as Christians do that stupid circular reasoning where we're trying to make ourselves seem right. Oh, here's this person putting a Bible verse on the Internet. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to prove him wrong and say that's not the first commandment. I'm like, but... Jesus said it was. And I didn't give any commentary on it. It was just the verse. I just read it. I didn't say anything else. I opened it up. Matthew 22, 37 through 38. And then I read it. And then I closed the Bible, and that was it. But somebody wanted to try to tell me that I was wrong. Or that Jesus was wrong. This is happening far too often in the church. It's happening far too often in the world, and we're doing it amongst ourselves. I don't know how many times I've done it, and yes, and some of it has been you guys too, where I will preach a message, and you'll come up, and you'll say something. Well, I, I heard this, but I was thinking it was this instead. Nine times out of ten, we're talking about semantics, and that means that one of us, doesn't understand the definition of the word. And we get tripped up on one single word. And then we try to create this big problem out of one single word. Why would we try to make that a problem? Because we want to be right. Why do we want to be right? Because we're proud and we're arrogant. And if we're right, then other people are wrong. And so now I'm good, and I'm better. Jesus faced this all the time. He was surrounded by these people. These people that always thought they were right. They always had to be right. They always felt the need to open their mouths and tell people how right they were. And to show how right they were because of the things that they've done and the things that they've experienced and their, their understanding or their knowledge and their intellect. Jesus was faced by these people all the time. We are faced by these people all the time, and I would say often we are these people. But what does Jesus say about this? I want to read this passage. Uh, you can go ahead and jump to John chapter 13, but hold your place there, because we're going to get there in a little bit. I want to set up a little bit more context about showing you uh, this parable that Jesus taught directly about this issue of those that were trying to be right and make themselves seem right and make sure that others knew that they were wrong because of how right they were. And this parable is actually back in Luke chapter 18, and you can just bring your attention up to the screen. Luke 18, 9 through 14, it says, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were right, righteous, despised others. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this person at Walmart in the checkout lane that can't run two brain cells together. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of all that I possess. And this slow driver would not so much as raise their eyes to heaven, beat his breast, saying, God, I'm a sinful, or I am, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified more than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is sitting here and he's like, if you are trying to say that you're good, that you're right, that you've done it right, that you're doing all the right things, God, I mean, I thank you that I pray so much, that I give so much, that I've got an unblemished church attendance, that I can pull out my Bible app and my streak is longer than anybody else's. Like, these are the things that we start to elevate and we start to say, I thank God that I've done these things. Not like the others, not like those people. They're not doing the right thing, God. They're not paying attention. They're not really loving you because they're missing out on some of the stuff that you've commanded them to do. I'm not like them. I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like the heathens. I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like the idiots of this world. Uh huh. Jesus says right there at verse 14, I tell you this, man, he's talking to the tax about the tax collector. He went down to his house justified. Why is he justified versus the other? Because this man comes in, he's like, I don't have it all figured out. He says it. It says in verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, to me, a sinner. Be merciful. Show me mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. I know that I'm not the smartest person in the world. I know that I'm making mistakes left and right. I know that I don't have all the answers. I know that I'm getting it wrong. But God, please be merciful on me. That guy is humble. That guy is not thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. But the Pharisee, the righteous, the one that had to be right and prove he was right, and in order to prove he was right, he needed to make an example of somebody else who was wrong. Verse 14, Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. To the Pharisee, he was right and the tax collector was wrong. To Jesus, it wasn't about being right or wrong. It was about being proud or humble. The hard part of this is that proud people just don't love well. They don't love well because they can't relate. They don't see themselves as God sees them. They only see themselves as they want to be seen. I want to be right. Who cares if you're right? Who cares if you're right? Jesus didn't care if the Pharisee was right. Was the Pharisee doing the right things? Sure, he was doing the right things. And Jesus didn't care. He was going to make an example out of him, and he was going to humble him. But the one that was already humble, he was exalting him. He was lifting him up. James tells us this. James tells us that, you know, he gives us more grace. James 4, 6. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's re referencing back to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And depending on which translation you have, it says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The message translation calls them the proud skeptics. New Living and a few others call them mockers. And the Amplified and others call them scoffers. 
Are you mocking people? Are you scoffing at them? Are you proud? Are you scornful towards them? Because if you are, God's going to humble you. He's going to knock you down a peg. He's going to remove that pride from you whether you like it or not. I know that because that's what's happened with me through this message. He's knocking those proud chips off and he's like, Josh, you're not that good. You need to get a better view of yourself. See, what happens as Christians, we become proud. We slip into a spiritual pride just like the Pharisees did. Do you think the Pharisees like just woke up one morning and they're like, you know what would be a good idea? If I went out, made sure that everybody knew how great that I am, and that's how I'm going to start off my relationship with God. I am the best there is, and everybody else is horrible. Like, that's how I'm going to get close to God. No, that's not how they started out. They started out just like all of us did. I just want to get to know Him. I just want to learn. I just want to understand But the more they learned, the more they understood, the more they started to rely on their own understanding and rest in their own intellect and their own knowledge. And all of a sudden, they start slipping into this spiritual pride. And then what happens is we slip into a spiritual pride, and then look how right I am. I have now become a standard. I am a standard bearer. It is now my duty as a Christian to judge other people. I am that right that I now know things. And then because we are so right, all of a sudden we then become offended at people who are so wrong. Like how could they be that wrong? How could how could a building a group of people that call themselves Christians and call themselves a church have no understanding of spiritual gifts. I'm offended that they would even call themselves a Christian. (laughs) Like this is what happens to the church. And then it goes beyond that. It's not even just we're offended by what happens in here. Oh, now we're going to get offended by what somebody posts online. We're going to get offended by how somebody who calls themselves a Christian votes in the booth. We're going to get offended by them sharing what they believe, which is wrong, or even how they behave, which is wrong, because we're right and we know what's right. And then it's not only that we become proud, we then become judges, or now we don't even like that term. We have now justified that we're not even judges, or you know what we are? We don't judge. We assess. (laughs) We are assessors. We are examiners because we're not going to judge because, I mean, Jesus says not judge, so we're not going to judge. We don't judge. I mean, the whole judge not lest you be judged. No, I'm not judging. I'm assessing. I'm examining them because I've been in this long enough that I think I've got some, some ability to do that. Yeah, we're, we're guardians of the truth. That's what we are. We have to guard the truth. We have to guard righteousness. And that means that I now need to pass judgment. I mean, uh, an assessment, an examination on somebody else. I mean, yeah, they're, they're an okay guy, but um, I mean, he thinks way too high of himself. I mean, yeah, she seems like a nice woman, but I mean, 
Have you seen her just let her kids run amok? I mean, I, I would never spend my money on something like that. I just, I wouldn't do it. I, I could never attend a church that doesn't do this. We're assessing it. You know what? I would never listen to a pastor who just preaches anything other than the unadulterated word from like an exegetical line by line, verse by verse teaching, just like Jesus didn't do. I, I, oops, I might have stepped on some toes with that one too. Like, there. When did we get to the point where it's all about us being right and everybody else must be wrong? The reason we start to do that is because we've become Pharisees. We have to tell people how right we are. But in order to make our case for other people to know how right we are, we have to then set somebody else up as being wrong and show how they're wrong. Oh, you're wrong. I don't know why you would post that verse on the internet and say that that was the first commandment. That's obviously not the first commandment. The first commandment is to hear. <laughs> What is wrong with us? Like, we do this. And even me, like, what was, why did I even feel the need to respond? Anybody that had eyes to see that could have just looked at it and been like, he just read what Jesus said, that it was the first command, and you're saying it's not the first command. All right, fella. But no, I've got to be a guardian of the truth. I've got to set the record straight. See, we all do this. We're all examining other behavior. We're assessing other behavior. Whether it's what people wear or what vacations they're taking or how they're treating their spouse or their children or what their church attendant looks like. What Bible translation they might use. This is not what Jesus wanted. This is not what Jesus wanted. He didn't want us to think that we're the smartest. He didn't want us to think that we're the most right. Because who cares if we're right? Who cares if you're right when being right makes others feel wrong? And when they feel wrong, they feel like you don't care in the first place. Who cares if you're right if being right doesn't actually make a difference? What difference does the Pharisee proving that he was right make? The Pharisee was right. Who cares? Jesus didn't care. He's like, you're arrogant. <laughs> you're proud. You're not justified. Just because you're right, you think you're justified? Oh, you're not. We should remember what Jeremiah tells us, that our hearts are desperately wicked and easily deceived. Our hearts are often deceived just by us making ourselves feel right. That we constantly have to argue with somebody. No, I'm right, you're wrong. Who cares? What does you making that point, trying to prove that point, do in the grand scheme of things? How are you helping anybody by showing them they're wrong? 
by just constantly saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. If we, as Christians, are the body of Christ, and we are supposed to be his body in this world, shouldn't we start asking ourselves, what would Jesus actually do? Because, let's face it, the most right person there ever was, Jesus, right? Am, am I right on that? <laughs> like, no, he was, when was he wrong? I mean, according to this guy on the internet, apparently right there when he said that was the first commandment. But apart from that, when was Jesus ever wrong? Never. When did he sin? Never. He never got it wrong. Like, here's an example. If I were to then tell you how many right things I do, tell you how much I read my Bible, how much I pray, how I love my wife, how I treat my kids, how I pastor this church, how I operate out in public, I tell you all the right things that I do, do you think that any of that is actually going to lead people to Jesus? Do people follow Jesus because of what I do? Will people follow Jesus because I'm right? Or will people follow Jesus because of what he did? And because he's right. People don't care if I'm right. They care that Jesus can make them right. People don't care what I do. They care what Jesus did. This is where if you're in John chapter 13, I did tell you to go there, right? John chapter 13, let's set the context here in verse 1. It says, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right here, the context. This is just before the feast of the Passover. Jesus is getting ready. The end is drawing near. He knows that the time is at hand. He's got this last moment to be here with his disciples. He's getting ready to sit down at this feast, have a last supper with them. Sit down with them. Have a meal with them. And he sits down and they start. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he winds up taking off his outer robe and he sets it down and he walks over and he grabs a servant's apron comes back over to them and starts to wash all of their feet. And they are appalled at this. He is their savior. He is their Lord. He is their master, but he's acting like their servant. He is better than all of them. And they know that he is better than all of them, but he's acting like he's not. He's actually serving them, taking on the role of a slave, of a bond servant. He's eating dinner with the one that he knew was going to betray him and washing all their feet. And then if you jump down to chapter, in chapter 13, verse 35, 33 and 35, little children, I love that because that's like the first time he talks to them as little children. Everywhere else in the Gospels, he talks about them being disciples, being brothers, being sisters. He doesn't refer to them as children. But he says, little children, I'll be with you just a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you can't come. And now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. That you love one another as I just loved you. That you love one another in the way that I have shown you how I loved. Go back to verse 1, and it says he loved them even to the end. And then to show them that love, he's getting down and he's serving them by washing their feet. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are not known as his disciples because of what we're in favor of. We're not known by his disciples because of what we're against. We're not known by, as his disciples because of how we vote. We're not known by his, as his disciples because we are right. We are known as his disciples because we belong to him and we love like he loves. It, why don't we love others like this? Why don't we even love each other like this? Like, it's not even about us loving the world this way yet. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to them as little children. He's like, kids, why can't you just get along amongst yourselves? Like, how are you ever going to be able to love the world when you can't even love each other? You're arguing and you're bickering that one has to be right and the other has to be wrong. How about you just love them? Because here's Jesus, the most right knowing that they are all wrong, and yet he's loving them and he's serving them and he's not calling them out for being wrong. He's loving them. He's serving them. He doesn't feel morally superior to them. He hasn't become judgmental. He's not examining them. He's not assessing their spiritual condition. He's loving them. He's not easily angered and offended. He is loving them. We are acting the exact opposite way that Jesus is, and yet we claim that we're this body Nah, something's wrong here. Something's wrong because Jesus was the most right and yet the least judgmental. And yet we are just as wrong as everyone else and yet more judgmental. Check out this story. You might be familiar with it. John chapter 8. Verse 1, it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and he taught him. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, those that like to be right all the time, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. All right. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Now they said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And when Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst, Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. He says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The Pharisees were right. 
the woman was wrong. Who cares? Jesus didn't care that they were right and that she was wrong. Like, think about what the woman felt. What do you think that woman felt from how Jesus treated her versus how the rest treated her? I'd venture to say that even though she was convicted and probably scared at first, when Jesus stood back up and says, I'm not condemning you, go and sin no more. He didn't say that she wasn't sinning. But he also wasn't beating her up about it. And he wasn't trying to prove that he was right. He was loving her. I'd venture to say that she felt this feeling that I felt the moment I realized how much Jesus loved me and he wasn't trying to condemn me, but he was just trying to save me. I felt overwhelming gratitude. Like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. There's nothing I could do to get it. I deserve far worse than this. Everything the world said that I deserved, I did, and then some. But Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to save you. Overwhelming gratitude. I venture to say that she felt valued. That she felt loved in spite of her sin. She felt forgiven. I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. Does acknowledging that we are forgiven not create in us the attitude of gratitude? Like when you think, I've done so much wrong, but yet I'm forgiven? Like, you forgave me? Like, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. And when I focus on the fact that I am forgiven, and not only am I forgiven, but then I am brought into his family, he values me, I'm the apple of his eye, I am precious, I am worthy, I am his, I am loved. See, all of a sudden, when we focus on those things, it's not about me being right, it's about me being forgiven. It's not about them being wrong. It's not about me being right. It's all about us being forgiven, us being loved. And when I think about that, that I am loved, I'm overcome with that love. And then I'm more forgiving towards others. I'm overflowing with that love. Instead of being right, we need to be humble. Because being right makes us ineffective. Being humble makes us loving. We rarely help somebody by judging them. But it might help by loving them. Because when I think about the change in my life, that change didn't come from judging. That change came from loving. People don't change from judging. 
but people change from loving. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love, and in verse 4 through 8, he gives the brilliant definition and picture of love, that it's patient, that it's kind, that it's long-suffering, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not proud, doesn't think more highly of itself, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it's not judgmental. All these things that love does, read it in like multiple translations. You really want to help your own spiritual life. Don't even just read it in different translations, but each time you see love is patient, take the word love out and say that you are. I am patient. I am kind. I am not boastful. I am not arrogant. I am not proud. I am not self-seeking. I don't keep a record of wrongs. I endure until the end. If love does it and we do it, we're loving. But before that, I love what the Apostle Paul says. Before he even gets into the definition, starting in verse 4, you get 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have knowledge and am right and smarter than the rest of the world... Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. And that means you are not his disciple. You are not following Jesus if you are not loving if we claim that we're his disciples, if we claim that his, we're his followers, if we claim that we are his children, we ought to be loving because if we're not, we're not following. We're not doing what he did. We're not imitating him. We're not obeying his commands. I mean, I started this off and I showed you yesterday's Bible verse of the day, the first and the second great commands. Love God love people, and Jesus then gives us a brand new one, and he's like, here's a new one to go with it. Love each other. Like he had already told them, love God, love people, but apparently the church couldn't figure out that people meant each other, and we started fighting amongst ourselves. If we can't love each other, what hope is there for us to love the rest of the world? And if Jesus' body is not loving, how are people ever going to get saved? Doesn't matter if we read our Bible every day. Doesn't matter if we go to church every week. It doesn't matter if we've got biblical views on prophecy or abortion or same-sex marriage or giving to the poor. None of that matters if we don't have love. It profits us nothing. We are nothing more than a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. All we're doing is making noise. We have to have love. Who cares if we're right? If we don't care. Who cares if we're right? If we can't love. Jesus doesn't care if we're right if we don't love. Because Jesus himself was right. 
but all he did was love. Let's make sure that we realize that Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. Now let's love each other.